Uh, Brandon Zortman, our youth pastor, did a great job uh, kind of giving us a deconstruction 101, and it was a lot of really, really good information. And so we thought that uh, part two, that tonight our, our time would be well spent uh, with a panel discussion with some, uh, some guys who uh, we think can contribute some, some good thoughts and give some good insight uh, share some things from their own spiritual journey, but also uh, their understanding of God's Word that can help us think through this. One of our values here, uh, one of our core values as a church, is family partnership. So we as a church uh, feel uh, passionate about coming alongside of you and your family and uh, helping to make sure that really all of us are equipped to be in this world, to understand different issues in culture, but also I deal with different issues in the church as things come about. We're not afraid of those issues, all right? And so this is one of those issues we are dissecting and digging in um, because we know the gospel's true. We know God's word is true. We know Jesus is alive. We know he's on his throne. We know how the story ends. But there are some difficult challenges, even in the life of a church, in raising a family as a Christian family in the culture that we live in that we face. And so we want to encourage you and help you and equip you as you do that, no matter if you're a grandparent if you're a parent, if you're a student, I think that uh, all of us will benefit as a result of being here tonight. All right, so I'll ask our panel to come on up. Uh, Brandon, come up. Uh, ben, come up. Uh, Barry, come on up. And as they're coming up, I'm going to give a little, just off the top of my head, a little uh, bio for you guys. We won't spend time going down the line um, sharing individually, but y'all know Brandon Zortman. He serves as our uh, student pastor and also oversees our sports ministries here at Schindler. Uh, Barry Lawrence coming up on the stage now. Barry served for uh, a number of years in ministry. He's a retired pastor, served in Rochester, New York. Make sure I'm getting all this right here, Brother Barry. And uh, he and his wife have been in our area for how long have you all lived? About a year and a half ago. And the Lord brought him to Schindler, and he and Diane are a big blessing to our church. And he's filled the pulpit. You've heard him teach. And so I'm really glad to have him on the panel. And then Ben Brawley, uh, he served here at Schindler, as most of you know, as our student pastor for a number of years. And the Lord called him uh, to a position with the Florida Baptist Convention over collegiate ministries in Jacksonville. Uh, and he works uh, with a lot of students over at UNF and some other, other campuses in town. And uh, so he was called away to that, but we're glad that God did not call their family away from Schindler Drive. They continue to stay plugged in here. He serves as one of our Bible Connect group teachers and does a great job. So guys, thank you for being on the panel tonight. Can we give them a big hand for joining us? So I have some questions that we'll run through. You uh, did a good job of contributing some good questions over this past week, some of you. Uh, but some of you may have not been in here. You, maybe you weren't in here last week, and you hear deconstruction, and you're already kind of like, what in the world's going on? And so uh, I think as we move through this, you'll get a handle, uh, just as some of these uh, questions are answered on uh, what deconstruction is and uh, and so I think that that'll, that will help you. But I did think it would be good to just kind of toss uh, a question to Brandon as we begin tonight um, to just share uh, really briefly in a nutshell um, what you shared last week. Now, you shared a lot last week, so that might be a challenge. Uh, but just to give somebody an idea, say we're just sitting around having dinner, hanging out with some people. If I turned to you and said, hey, what is deconstruction? Can you, can you give us a, a brief definition of that? Uh, go for it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, last week was almost an hour long, so I'm going to try and bring that down to like a minute and a half. Um, so, basically, deconstruction in a nutshell is basically um, taking a part of a belief system and kind of breaking it down. Kind of the image that I gave last week was if you kind of picture your belief system as a house 
deconstruction is kind of where you're taking it apart brick by brick and breaking it down and being like, hey, where, where might this uh, be incorrect, right? Where, where might this be flawed? Um, and so uh, we, we talked about the, the fact that um, uh, deconstruction and kind of taking apart your faith really isn't anything new. It's as old as the Bible itself. You see examples of people in the Bible who deconstructed. They, they uh, called themselves believers at one point, and then they, they walked away from their faith. You see that with Judas. You see that with Saul in the Old Testament. Um, and so it's not anything new. And, and our culture has been kind of portrayed as like this new thing where, you know, Christianity has just been kind of cruising for, for hundreds of years and all of a sudden people are jumping off the ship. Well, no, like people, people um, as, as old as Christianity is, all along the way there have been people who have walked away um, and there have been people who have, have remained faithful, right? And, and in, in Scripture, it's clear that you cannot lose your salvation, right? So if somebody walks away and, and does not return, the Bible says that that person was never truly safe to begin with, right? Um, and, but last week we, we walked through um, uh, a specific story of deconstruction that came out a couple years ago from a couple guys named Rhett and Link um, who called themselves believers for years, grew up in Bible Belt Christianity, and have since walked away and come out with their story, and we kind of use their story, I kind of use their story as a jumping off point to kind of talk about some different uh, issues related to deconstruction, and more importantly, last week we kind of focused on what can we as a church, what can we as believers do um, kind of in response to it, but if you weren't here, that's available on our YouTube uh, page now, it's on the website, several different places, um, uh, podcasts, different places, so if you weren't here, you can go check that out, or send it to somebody too. What ages is this... uh impacting the most uh good question because it's i w- from what from what i've seen it hasn't seems like there's like a specific age group where it's like well you know they're really jumping off at, at this point at it, it, um one point it kind of looked like um you know college was kind of the the spot where you know people would grow up in the church and then they go off to college and then they're being pulled away but it, it's uh, there's um I think increasingly more pull in, in younger uh, age groups in, in high school, middle school, even elementary school, people trying to pull students away from, uh, from biblical thinking. Uh, but then you, you have, um, you know, examples of, of uh, people beyond their college years. Rhett and Link, for example, they, they stayed strong when they were in college. They, it wasn't until um, uh, several years later when they were in their, in their late 20s and 30s that they walked away. You have other examples. I, I can think of an example of uh, Billy Graham had a had a partner named uh, he was Charles Templeton was his name, and he, he was like a partner uh, with with Billy Graham in doing evangelism, and he ended up walking away. And you can go read about his story, but um, there's there's different examples. I, I think you can probably find an example of any hmm. really age group. Yeah, which just speaks to the importance of all of us leaning in and listening to this tonight. So glad that our students are in here with us tonight. Y'all paying attention? You good? You with us? Yeah? All right. Five of you are shaking your heads right now. All right. All of you with me? All right. So it's important for you guys to really lean in and listen to this as well. Statistically, um, you know, they say that a high number of the students in your youth group currently will walk away from the church and that some of you will walk away professing Jesus as your Savior. And so my prayer is that we'll break that statistic here that the Holy Spirit will, that God will, that we'll see students like you, and I'm looking at all of you, lean in and listen intently in conversations like this and discussions like this 
and the teaching that you're getting on Wednesday nights in that you're, you won't just have it right here. Look at me. You won't just have it right here, but you'll have it here. That you'll have a sincere faith that's your faith. You are not going to survive and you're going to fizzle out on your grandma's faith and your parents' faith and the people's faith in this church. All right? So I just wanted to turn and say that to y'all. Uh, I'm glad that you're in here, all of you. So lean in and really listen to this because this impacts your life and especially the next decade of your life. But this is for everybody in here tonight. So glad you're here. Lean in. And I think this is going to be some good uh, time of discussion. All right. So first question. This was uh, uh, sent in by one of you. And it was a really good question. What are some of the arguments? And this, whoever wants to jump in and answer this. We got one microphone. So just pass that around. All right. What are some of the arguments being raised by deconstructionists? And what are some of the Christian answers to those arguments? What are some of the arguments being raised by deconstructionists? And what are some of the Christian answers to those arguments? Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, You're fresh on it, So, um, it's a really broad question. Um, so, like, that, that's a whole topic, like, in and of itself. We're talking about, like, different arguments. Because there, you're... There's a long list of attacks against uh, Christianity and arguments that people will try and throw it at Scripture. Um, and so we, we could spend a, a whole other step. We could spend several sessions just, just talking about that. But um, kind of, since we're limited on time, I'll kind of do it this way. If kind of using, staying on the theme of kind of using a story like Rhett and Link um, and some of the things we learned from from their story. Whenever, like one of the things I said last week was that when you go listen to a story like Rhett and Link, when you listen to them tell their story, it sounds very compelling, right? Like the, the way that they that they tell their story because they can articulate the gospel. They can articulate what we believe because they, for years, said that they believed it. Um, and so that it's really compelling when you hear somebody speaking from that perspective. It's also kind of uh, one of the things that makes their story sound very compelling is the fact that um, Rhett especially will, will say stuff like this as he's, as he's telling his story. He'll say, he'll say, he'll stop and he'll say, now I know that, you know, a Christian would respond by saying this, right? Like a Christian response would be da 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 And he'll say exactly what you're thinking as a Christian, right? Like you're sitting there thinking, that is exactly what I would say. That is exactly what I'm thinking, right? And sometimes the, I found, the first time I listened to it, I found that kind of like, like kind of drawing me in, and then I was like, "Well, wait a minute!" Like the that sounds way more compelling than I think it really is because it we can kind of get sucked into thinking like, "Oh, well, he knows what I'm going to say." So it, almost like that in, that in and of itself in, invalidates the argument, but it doesn't, right? Just because somebody knows what you're going to say, like they still have to refute it, right? And when you listen, if you listen carefully to his story, to both of their stories, but especially Rhett, whenever you listen to his story, he'll bring up like, "I know Christians say this," and I've you know I've read. C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel and, and all sorts of, you know, this apologist and that Christian professor and whoever. And he'll, he'll say, you know, I've, I've read all of those. But he never, act, if you pay attention, he never actually refutes them or disproves what they say. He kind of like brings them up like, yep, I've read that. And then just, just dismisses them, which is ironic because several times in his story he says, you know, don't, don't dismiss me. Don't mis- dismiss me. But he, several times he'll bring up somebody and then dismiss them. Right? He won't actually engage with their actual argument. And, um, and he'll, the other part of his story is he, I'll give you one example of an argument that, that he makes. And then, um, I'll, I'll give you one reason why I think those arguments kind of pulled he and, he and Link away. One of the argue, whenever he brings up arguments, if you ask me, the arguments he brings up against Christianity aren't really that strong. 
he tells them in a way that sounds very compelling and very convincing. But you, when you actually dig into what the argument actually is that he's making, it doesn't. It's, I don't think they're very good arguments. For example, uh, he starts going into archaeological evidence. And one of the attacks against Christianity is people will say, you know, there's no archaeological evidence for that this story happened in the Bible. There's no archaeological evidence that this person actually ever existed. But that's not really a very good argument because all, you've, all that argument proves is you haven't found the evidence yet. Right? That's very different than if you were able to say, you know, we made an archaeological discovery and it disproves this thing in the Bible. That's very different. That has not happened. Right? All they can say is, we haven't found that da, da, da. for years they said that there wasn't any archaeological evidence that King David existed. Then they started finding stuff. Right? There was you know, no evidence that, that uh, one of the groups in the Bible, I think it was like the Hittites or Amorites or somebody, no evidence they ever existed. And then they started finding stuff. Right? So all it proves is that you haven't found anything. But that's one of the arguments that Rhett tries to use. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, and you, he obviously doesn't have time to dive into all these things when he's telling his life story. But it's like if he's going to tell some of the arguments that pulled him away from Christianity, you're, you would assume he's going to tell the highlights, right? Like really strong arguments. And this is one of the arguments that he uses. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's not that good of an argument. And as I'm thinking that, he literally says – the you can go listen to it. He literally says in the episode, he goes, now I know the absence of evidence isn't actually proof, right? Like he literally says the exact thing that I was thinking. And I'm like, exactly. Like you just disproved your own argument and cut the whole thing down in one sentence, right? But then he just keeps going. And what, what he says is he never actually refutes anything or, in my opinion, disproves any Christian argument. But what he says is, you know, I just didn't find it compelling anymore. And what he says is, you know, I heard all these arguments against Christianity. And it just seemed like like all these arguments just kind of pulled me away. And it, this, this is the last thing I'll say is I think – what one of the things that pulled Rhett and Link away was just the sheer volume of arguments because there, you have a ton of different arguments, scientific arguments that people will try to make, historical, archaeological, whatever, all sorts of arguments that people will try and bring against the Bible. And sometimes just the fact that there are so many arguments, some people can, can find that convincing, right? Like, well, how can the Bible stand up to this many arguments, right? How can it stand up to this much scrutiny? Well, when you actually take the arguments one by one, you find out like, okay, this one can't disprove Christianity. This one can't disprove Christianity. And the ones that I've dug into, this one can't disprove Christianity. So the, the illustration I kind of use is attacks on Christianity is kind of like being shot at by a thousand Nerf guns. Okay, Now, is that fun? No. Is that kind of intimidating? Yeah, being shot at by a thousand Nerf guns. But is that ultimately going to do any damage? No. If I can go one by one and show each one of those is not actually a real legitimate weapon, then that's not – that doesn't pose an actual threat, right? Just because there are a lot of attempts at disproving the Bible doesn't, doesn't make those attempts any stronger, if that makes sense. But sometimes we can get pulled away just because there are so many arguments. That's good. I think uh, when you look at Scripture, when you have people that uh, – Red Link and others who, uh, you know, turn away from the Bible, turn away from the Word, turn away from Christ. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. It's a heart problem. If a fool has said in his heart there is no God, then you read that Psalm 53, and, and then they gave themselves over to sin, this. Or, or uh, in John, uh, John records, you know, people don't, I'm, I'm summarizing here, people don't trust in Christ, don't want to come to the light because they want to live in the darkness. Now, it's, it's fine for intellectual, and we got 
great groups out there like Stand to Reason and others that do a lot of work in this. But uh, when you talk about the motive, when you turn away from Christ, it's, a, it's a not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. Mm. It's our hearts, right? Uh, and I'm not denying we don't need intellectual arguments. But clear from Scripture that uh, we turn away from Christ. Uh, Romans 1, for instance, they have all the evidence. But uh, they worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever on, right? right. So it's a, it's a moral issue. And, and, and I think, you know, for young people here and for all of us, there's going to be doubts. But you search your heart. Is it really an intellectual issue or is it really a, a heart issue? And certain intellectual is important. Arguments are important. Apologetics are important. I think you mentioned that last week. But it's, it's ultimately a heart moral issue. I don't want to be ruled by God. That's right. So I got, I got an exit door here. I found some arguments. Here we go. And uh, I, think it's pretty I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that that's the reason for all of us to be drift away. That's right. uh, It's a hard issue. Yeah. It's an eloquent. It's an eloquent, eloquent explanation and justification for yourself to be your own God and to stay on the throne of your own heart. And, you know, I, you just made me think of something, Barry, and along with, uh, you know, Brandon, you know, covered that we do need to be able to give an intelligible defense for our faith. You don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. That There are really solid answers out there to all these really hard questions, but you're exactly right. At the same time, when we talk about, you know, this question was, uh, what are some of the Christian answers to all those arguments? Well, what's the big argument? Big argument is just that, you know, whether Christianity is not real or there's problems and they, they're poking holes in it. It's an, it's an attack, and it's an argument against Christian, the Christian faith as a whole. I think the big answer back to that we need to remember is a proclamation of the gospel through our words and through our life, through a changed life, right? Not only is uh, the transformation that's happened in my life evidence for my own self that in the, uh, the realness of God and the, the genuineness and the authenticity of, of the faith that I hold to, it's also the most powerful uh, argument or the most powerful uh, tool I think we have, you know, along with our words to make an impact on the people's lives around us who are deconstructing their faith and who are questioning their faith. So I'm thinking of Paul. He, he wasn't able to get out of his head watching Stephen be stoned to death and with his very last words, exalt Christ. That's a transformed life. And so there's, there's Saul then with all of his questions and all of his attacks against the Christian faith influenced by man's real life. And we got to remember that, that your the way you live out your faith as a grandparent, as a neighbor, as a parent, as an uncle, as an aunt, as a student at school, uh, in your home, wherever you're at, uh, it, uh, it matters and it makes a difference. So anybody else want to add anything to that? Am I good? I'm good. <laughs> Hello. Uh, now, I think I agree with all, all of you guys, and I, I, I agree. One of the things that I run in, and I think Barry was really talking about it, is kind of, um, you know, people kind of chasing after their own sins and other things. But also, I think it's a faulty foundation. And that's something that I would really press in on in a lot. 
I'm just going to tell you a little, little thing I do. So I work with college students, and if they tell me they, they tell me they go to church, I make them read a book called Gospel to make sure that they understand the gospel. I'm going to tell you what I deal with. I deal with a lot of moralism, a lot of moralism, that people who've went to church who had a faulty foundation on good deeds and their righteousness and all that, and they come and they think that they know Jesus or have a good standing or understand Christ, they don't. And, they, and you, so you almost have to start over. And so I, I share with them, I, in a way, I kind of deconstructed uh, myself after college. I, I got saved at seven, kind of went and kind of went to the world, party, did all that stuff. After college, I was raised up in a church. You know, I accepted Christ, accepted the gospel. But I had a lot of moralistic teaching, right? Don't drink. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so how do I be a good Christian? Don't do don'ts and do do do's, right? And so... <laughs> I was kind of in this way, and I, and, I, and I got down, and I was like, I want to see what God's Word says, like, really. And so I just studied God's Word on my own and was like, and I'm going to throw out, because what we would do, problem is we would put advice and good suggestions on the same. I guess, I guess. We good? All right. Um, where was that? The problem was that I was. We would put advice and we would put good suggestions on the same level as scripture. And what happened is, in my life, I would look up to somebody and I would attach myself to them, and I would see them fall off their suggestions and advice, and then I would say, "Well, how does that hold up with scripture?" And so for the students, I would just encourage you guys, as you think through this, don't build your foundation on coming to church or even coming to youth. It has to be on Christ and what he did on the cross. And that's the foundation that you can start to build on. It's not your righteousness. You can do nothing. I heard this today and it just hit me. You can do nothing to impress God. Actually, you did the opposite. And because of God's goodness and his love, he sent Jesus to die for us. And that's where you build the foundation. And that foundation can't be deconstructed. And so, anyone start to preach. But yeah, I just, that was what I see. And so I just think that it's important as we think through this, it's not that the gospel's de- being deconstructed because it can't be. It's the good news, the salvation. It's the faulty teaching and it's the moralism that gets into these kids and then they start thinking, well, maybe the world does better and all this stuff. And that, that, that will fall away and that will deconstruct. Good. Uh, this moves, well, this moves uh, smoothly into our next question right here. Um, and you'll, I, I'll I pitch this to Brandon to help uh, understand the terminology right here. Is there such a thing as positive deconstruction? So maybe define that and then let's d- discuss it. Yeah, so... Um, some I've heard uh, uh, some Christians talk about, um, and here I'm discuss this. Talk about like a, a, a positive deconstruction and a negative deconstruction. And um, the uh, for me, and this is just a personal thing. I'm not like dogmatic about it. This is just an opinion. Um, I prefer using the term um, uh, like spiritual renovation as opposed to like positive deconstruction. So. Um, uh, what I mean by that is if you go back to the house analogy of my belief system as a house and deconstruction is where I'm going to tear it apart brick by brick. 
the, and then if you add to that illustration that you have the blueprint sitting there, and the blueprint is the Bible, right? So the blueprint tells you what the house is supposed to look like, right? So the Bible is supposed to tell us what our beliefs look like, right? So deconstruction in a negative sense, what we've been talking about is where you're tearing it apart. And ultimately what you're saying is you're saying, I have a problem with the blueprint. I have a problem with what the Bible says. I think I know better than the Bible. I think I've found a better way than the blueprint. So I'm going to tear, tear the, horse, the, the house apart. Right? I'm going to tear down all these beliefs. Right? The, on the flip side of that, there is a positive uh, uh, way that we need to examine the house, examine the belief system. And, that it, it, and it's something that I would say it isn't just good in the life of a believer. I would say it's necessary in the life of a believer is to look at the house and say, does the house actually match the blueprint? Do my beliefs actually match the Bible, right? And it's kind of what Ben was literally just talking about where part of his story is literally examining, wait, 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 I, like my, my beliefs aren't actually matching what the Bible actually says, right? So the, the main difference between negative deconstruction and positive deconstruction or spiritual renovation, if you will, is in the negative sense, it's saying I know better than the blueprint, Right? The positive sense is saying, I need to get closer to the blueprint, right? I'm submitting to the authority of scripture. I need to get closer mm -hmm. to what the Bible actually says, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it really, we need to all be in a regular rhythm of renovation uh, to, some, to, to, to some extent, right? Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to be like constantly being transformed to look more and more like Jesus, yeah. Right. But in, in some people will walk through a, a larger season of renovation. Same as on your house, you have like consistent maintenance and upkeep. But sometimes you may have a larger process of like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, renovate the, like totally redo the kitchen or whatever, right? There might be a season for somebody where they go through a, a larger process of really examining, it, are my beliefs actually matching with the Bible? And it, it might, in some ways, it may look similar to a process of deconstruction because they're looking at their beliefs and they're saying, is this actually right? Right? They're ha they're asking good, hard questions, which is one of the reasons why last week I mentioned, don't if you if you you know hear somebody who's bringing up good, hard, difficult questions, that's not always a bad thing, right? We need to be asking good, hard questions about what we believe, and ultimately saying, is what I believe is it actually lining up with with Scripture, right? Or am I am I creating something that's apart from Scripture? That's good. Well, you guys like that answer? All right. We got some other questions to get to. I just want us to get to some of these. All right, or you have something? It can be something small to throw in there with this question. You good? Okay. All right. Um, here's a question. We're going to shift our focus into some, you know, just being mindful of who's in the room right now. All right, as we're thinking about this and thinking about our response to it, the application of the things that we've learned over the last week, and even some things we've heard about tonight. What are some things that parents, especially young parents, can do proactively to prepare their kids for these kind of challenges in the church and in our culture? So I, I, I'm going to pound this because I think Jonathan pounds this and I think God's Word pounds this. I think it's living out the gospel. Um, I think the gospel does not mean, one of the things we, we miss in it is we think that we have to bring our own righteousness. And I think one of the big things that we can do as parents and grandparents is admit that we need a savior, that we're, we're not Jesus. And so when you live out the gospel, your kids are seeing the gospel lived out in real time. It's not just a fact, but it, it's an impact in their life. And so I think 
there's a proactive concept, and I've still got nine, uh, nine, eight, and seven-year-old kids, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, they can say that they saw dad mess up a lot and needed Jesus on the gospel part. Um, <laughs> amen. Yeah. Some of y'all are truthful. Um, but uh, is, yeah, I just think that that's so important. And I think it's so important to come back to your kids and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I sinned. And really showing them that you're a sinner. The Bible says you're a sinner and that you're broken and that you need a savior. And to really inundate yourself with the gospel with needing Jesus, with the love of Christ, praying and doing those things and, and not making it something that you just do on Sunday and Wednesday or whatever. And, and I think, too, another thing is, is I'm so glad and so thankful for this church body because I, I watched, you know, I didn't think about it even when I was a youth pastor, but as my kids are, you know, have Bible Connect teachers and all these kids are teachers that pour into them, it's so affirming to say, hey, look, this this is an awesome adult, you know, and she loves Jesus, and she lives it out, and, and it's just cool to see them see that. And that's why the church body is so important as well in bringing, I'll skip ahead, but bringing your kids to church because you're inundating them with the gospel. And, and I think, the God, you know, the church is such a beautiful thing because it's not just, you know, one race, one culture, you know, one language. It's, it's so much diversity. And so I just think being proactive about making the gospel real in your kid's life. Uh, as much as you can. Amen. That's good. You know, I, I think uh, from my experience, and this is uh, my past experience, I think what what we uh, what we value as parents comes across to the kids. Certainly value the gospel. I remember one time uh, one of our younger parents came up to me and said, hey, well, well, it was the end of middle of June. He said, hey, we'll see you in September. Oh, I said, Okay. You know, did I offend you or anything? Oh, no, we, our kids have uh, soccer every Sunday. Now, I don't want to step on toes here, but, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder if sometimes we make the, uh, the sports the God rather than God being God and coming to church now. And uh, I said to this person, hey, you know, what are you communicating to your kids? Well, no, they understand, you know, we'll be back in September. And, uh, you know, I had the same struggle with our kids. And I'm a pastor, so I don't get off Sundays. So, uh, you know, and uh, our daughter was in a, going to be in a traveling softball tournament, you know, wrestling with that. You know, what, what do we do? And, you know, each parent has to make a decision, but be careful what you value. Show your kids what you value. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad valued spending time with the Lord. And every time I got up in the morning and I got up pretty early and he was up early, I would see him with his Bible open. And that told me something about what he valued. And, uh, and sometimes we think that's not going to be a, a big impression, but it is. And, uh, and I'm not being anti-soccer. I'm just saying be careful what you value, mm-hmm. what you're going to show your kids uh, how important is the Lord? How important is the Lord's day? How important is to be with other people? And the other thing is, uh, I grew up with uh, a, an adult teacher, Bill Weta, that influenced me. They, we had a little different. It was a pretty large church. We had guys, Bible study, Sunday school, and, and gals you know, growing up. And Bill Weta was with us, a group of ten guys, for like five years. And you know, I really appreciate that. I appreciate my parents' values, but I saw other adults 
that uh, had these values that reinforced their values. And I, I want to encourage us that are older and uh, even parents, hey, invite other, not just families over kids, invite other significant adults or vice versa and, and help your kids see Christ lived out beyond just your own family. Mm. And, uh, and that's been an impact in my own life. But, you know, what we value comes across to our kids. Yeah, I, I'd say uh, two things adding on to that. One is kind of along the same lines of what, what um, they've already been saying is um, show, show kids and students that you love the person of Jesus, right? Not just I love my church. As much as you should love your church, not just I love my Bible Connect group as much as you should do that, not just that I love this or that or whatever, but that I love Jesus, right? I would say even even more than just that you love the Bible, as much as you should love the Bible, we can love the Bible sometimes in a way where it becomes really academic and we're forgetting to love like the person, like of the, like we're, we're forgetting to love the God of the Bible, right? The, so I would say like, don't don't slip into loving the things of God like more than loving God Himself, mm. right? So like loving God Himself should lead to loving those other things. But show show that we love the person of Jesus, not just the teachings of Jesus, not just an idea of Jesus, but love the person of Jesus. Show show that that He's valuable to you, along with, with what Barry said. And the, the other thing that I would say, just a, a sort of a practical thing, talking about proactive things that we can do, be. Um, Try and be aware of, of what um, your, your kids are interacting with, like at school or wherever else, right? Try and, try and be aware of, hey, what, what are they being taught at school? I know I heard, yeah, I'm not a parent, but I, I heard in 2020, I heard a lot of stories from parents where whenever the kids came home um, and were doing school at home, I heard a lot of parents who were like, I realized that they were learning some stuff in school that I had no idea about. Right? So have conversations with them about, about what they're doing. And to students, talk to your parents. Okay? If you're, if you're like me, I was the student where I came home from school and my mom would, my mom would be like, how was school? I'm fine. Right? Anything interesting happened? No. Right? Talk to your parents. Right? Have conversations with them. Right? They, they want to know how your day went. Right? So I, I would say that as well as have, have conversations about what your kids are interacting with. So let's turn this into a sermon. Okay? So... Three points, all right, that just kind of wraps up that, those answers. You be a young parent that demonstrates with your words and with your actions the gospel, who visibly values the right things and values Jesus and values time with him and is involved, involved in their life relationally. And I believe, God, you're on the right path for God to use you to make an impact in that child's life that will last for eternity. All right, God's got to do that work. God's got to do the work in their heart. But he has given us a role, and he works through parents who do those three things, right, uh, that, um, that train their kids up, which leads right into the next question. All right, uh, This was a question that was asked. How should we properly understand Proverbs 22.6, which is what we're trying to do, right? We've just been talking about that over the last few moments. How do you train a child up in the culture that we're in? Train a child up in the way he should go or she should go. And even when they're old, uh, he will not depart from it. What is that? We, so many of us are familiar with that. 
that verse and that promise, what does it mean? What does it not mean? How is it misunderstood? How should we understand it? I, I guess I'll start by saying that what it doesn't mean is that uh, you just, like, if you do everything right as, as, a, as a parent, your kids are going to turn out exactly how you want them, right? Because it, it's not, if, if that's what, if that's what that, that verse means, then it basically means your kids are robots. And you put in the right formula, and, you know, then they, you know, they, they keep going this way, right? Well, they're, like, all of us are human beings who have to make our own choices, Right? I've, I've heard Jonathan make the point before that, that God is the perfect parent, and his kids rebel all the time. Right? Read the Old Testament. Read about Israel, how many times they keep rebelling, even though God is perfect and never makes any mistakes. Right? Um, and so I, I would say that – and I say that as an encouragement um, to parents, grandparents, anybody. If you, if you have kids who um, have, have strayed away or in a season of rebellion or whatever – that doesn't mean automatically that it's your fault, right? You can you can still be faithful in in raising up your raising up your kids in a godly way, in a gospel centered way, but at some point they like they make their own choices, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I would say it doesn't mean that like you put in the right formula and the right product pops out, right? Um, I would say that that uh, what what I think at first does mean is is if you train up a child in a gospel-centered environment, train up a child in the way that they should go, it's more likely that's going to happen, right? Kids are more likely to keep following following Jesus if they're raised to do that, right? So I think there's a, a better chance of that happening, right? But um, I also think that it means, like, even even for somebody who is straight away, if they were raised up in a gospel-centered community, if they were raised in a gospel-centered environment, um, and taught the right things, even if, even if they're straying away, even whenever they're they're old, they're not going to be able to escape what they taught, what they were taught. They're not going to be able to, to escape what was what was embedded in them, right? Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a quandary. I remember being a student pastor where uh, you know, parents have trained their kids and in you know the right way, and two of them turn out different. You know, one loves the Lord, the other chucks the faith. And uh, I think it's important, and I appreciate what you're saying, Brandon, it's, it's not prescriptive. Uh, Proverbs is never a command. The word train there, probably the Hebrew means dedicate. It's uh, a little different term, dedicate. I know you do, we do child dedication. It's coming up right next mm-hmm. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. And dedicate the child in, in the way he should go or he, she should go. Uh, there was some teaching number of years ago, that uh, you need to teach them, train them the way they're inclined. That's not what the, it says there. The way there is either foolish way or wise way in, in Proverbs, either righteousness or wickedness. So, you know, we want to train them, and it certainly involves the gospel, obviously, but you want to train them with the wisdom of God so they walk the path of righteousness, they walk the path of wisdom, not the way of foolishness, not the way of sin and evil. And... Uh, and I think this is where, and I'll, I'll go over my own church experience. I'm not talking about Schindler. I had to be a member here. But I think sometimes when we have the dedication of children, at least at our church, I didn't do a very good job of it maybe. Uh, we said, well, all you are involved in bringing them up. Well, what does that mean? Uh, does that mean I, you know, well, one thing we can do is pray, right? Mm. And... Uh, so I was convicted a number of years ago praying for my grandchildren, particularly, and for our children. 
I think of 10 specific prayers I can pray for them. That uh, you can pray for anyone of our children in the congregation. You may not even know them. Uh, and pray for them. And that's one of the greatest things we as a congregation can do. Is, it's going to be hard for us maybe to interact with all, all the youth and children. Uh, it's impossible for me to do it. But uh, there's ways we can be involved with the parents, be a part of that. And part of that is, is, is prayer. And uh, you don't have because you don't ask. And I wonder how, if we ask how many of us are praying specifically for this next generation. Uh, I, you know, sometimes we don't do that. And when parents are, but we as congregation, we're a family of God. Yeah. That's to be part of our uh, way to help them train and, and raise up uh, the children. And God does answer prayer. He really does. That's and, right. Uh, That's right. Turns lives around. Yeah, I would just add one thing. I would I agree with that. I love, you know, how he says when, you know, the word goes out, you know, it doesn't go void. And I think about how, you know, putting your kids in front of scripture and them hearing that, that's going to resonate later on at some point. I did for me in my story. Um, I'll just, I was just going to say an encouragement to those who um, maybe your, your child or, or, your, or your student or your grown adult, maybe they are not walking with the Lord. And, uh, you know, just be careful to write their story. You know what I mean? God, you don't know their story. You don't know what God's doing. And just to be encouragement of like, you know, what you put into them when they were a kid, like trust what you did there and God, let God be faithful. So just an encouragement for whoever's kind of struggling maybe with a, with a wayward kid that you, you know, keep trusting God because, you know, just a couple stories. I mean, my brother-in-law was an atheist and I didn't do anything great or even leading to the Lord, but he, you know, he came to Christ and then. Even recently, my brother, you know, this last year, he come back and wanted to start a Bible study, and it's just been really cool. So, you know, I just think of my parents and my mom who prayed for me, my grandma, and so just continue to be faithful. Don't let the enemy kind of beat you up there because, you know, don't write them off because uh, God might have a different story for them. Amen. Amen to all those answers. So let me ask a specific practical question that lines right up with this. Uh, should we require our kids to go to church? Uh, should we require them to go to school? Hey, Barry, you just drop it. Just drop the mic. Just let go. <laughs> Can you elaborate a little on that, though? I mean, I'm seriously, because I I, I know... That was a short answer, but I know there's more there. Unpack that. I've had, I have parents say to me, even my own kids say, I don't really get a lot out of church uh, for whatever reasons. And uh, so, you know, why, sh- why should I go and why should I be required to go on Sunday morning? And, uh, you know, there's danger of dragging our kids to church and then they're going to rebel. Here's my answer. Bring them to church, and you never know what God's going to do when the word's being preached. That's right. And uh, and the reason I used school illustration, I used that one parent one time. And I said, well, you know, I, I think it was a junior higher. I can't remember. He said, ah, I don't think they really go to church. I said, well, let me tell you. They get up Monday morning and say, I don't want to go to school. And they say, it's kind of boring. You know, I don't like the math class. I don't like this. I don't like that. I said, uh, 
Do, are you going to have to stay home? And I wasn't trying to be facetious. I'm saying this much more important. Yeah. When uh, I, I'm amazed how many kids who maybe out there, and I'm, the students aren't like that, I'm sure, but are sort of, you know, in a daze, but God uses his word and uses that. Mm. And when you have uh, a lot of our students exposed all week to junk yeah. <laughs> and TikTok and everything else and have one evening, what, Wednesday night, and maybe they come to, uh, what do you call it? You don't call it Sunday school. We call it Bible Connect for youth. Yeah. Uh, but more than expose them. So don't don't uh, undermine the fact that God can't work, and that you know we say you know, we love the Lord, and we love the Lord's day. You may not be there yet, but you may not you you won't regret hearing the truth yeah. and uh, having your life changed. So I'm, I'm sort of a black and white guy when it comes to this. I understand the struggle with parents on this. Yeah, and I think it go, and I think it goes back to. You said um, your kids pick up on what you value. So if you're if you're very adamant about them going to school, then you're valuing them getting the academic experience and the in the mind ready for college and their career. If you're, uh, you know, there's a lot of parents who don't take no for an answer when it comes to a sport. They see their kid gifted in, and you're gonna you're gonna ride this out and you're gonna grind this out. Why? Because you value them, you know, being good at that. And you may have some good motives there too that you want to see them to be somebody who works hard and finishes things and reaches goals. What does it communicate to them when you give them that choice to come to church? Not just to the building, but to what Barry laid out very uh, well a moment ago as the family of God where you're going to learn the word together. You're going to have people praying for you. It's, it's, it's where we grow. It's, what, it's the body of Christ. It's, it's where we um, all, it's, it's one of the main ways, it's one of the main places, uh, not again the brick and mortar, but the family of God where sanctification happens in my life week in and week out. So what is that, especially later on, you know, what, what is that, when they look back, what does that communicate to them about what you value? It's really insightful, really, really good stuff. Yeah, and something I would, I would add to that too is that I would say that I, I understand where some parents are coming from in, in saying, because I know some parents have, have a background where they say, you know what, I, I was raised in church, I was forced to go to church, and it made me dislike the church, Right. Um, and so on one hand, I under, I understand that perspective, but I would say a couple of things. First of all, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and don't mistake what the actual issue may have been in that situation. Right there. Like I know some people who have that, have that background in their story was maybe you were maybe forced to go to church in a way that was very legalistic. That was not a, a very gospel centered. It was very moralistic. Um, you know, and, and something like that. So maybe the way it was done may not have been good, but don't the, I wouldn't say that the issue was, was that you were required to go to church, right? That in and of itself, I would not say is, is, uh, is the issue. And the other thing I would say is that I think, I think there's a little bit of a, a breakdown in the logic there. And it, here's what I mean. What we're, what we're kind of saying is, uh, is, Basically, okay. Why, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to require my kid to, to go to church because if I if I make them go, then they might not like the church. And so, okay. So then we're saying that okay. Th- by that logic, that means okay. If I don't make them go to church, then they will like the church. Okay. Well, I 
I'm the youngest one up here. I have the least amount of ministry experience. I don't know about their ministry experience if they've ever had this conversation before, but I have yet to have a conversation with a student where they come up to me and they say, you know, <clears throat> last Sunday my family was at church and I was, uh, I was at home sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and watching Netflix. And all of a sudden I just realized how much I love the church. <laughs> and I realized how much I needed the church sitting there watching Netflix. And how much the church means to me, and da, 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 right? Like so, like even if in the moment they're they're saying I don't I don't like the church. Again, going back to what Barry said, you're you're communicating to them the value of the church, and that's going to stick with them, right? That's good. Yeah. Just one quick thing. I think it says everything y'all said. I would say yes, absolutely. And I would say the reason why. Well, I would say this is how do you. Talk about the church to your kids. You know, like, are they hearing you gossip about people at church? Are they hearing you excited to go to church? Or is church sound like, get ready right now, we got to get out the door, right? Yeah. Right, you're like, yeah, I feel that, I feel that, I'm going to say that. <laughs> All right, being truthful, I like it. All right. So here's what I would say, though. You know, I'll tell you something for, for me. I've really enjoyed our Bible Connect class, like lately. It's just been a really good group. Shout out to my Bible Connect class over there. But um, is, like, I really enjoy that. And and letting, you know, see the family aspect and the love and, you know, how we get together. And so I think church, like, as we're the church and we reflect Jesus more and more, it should be enticing. There's love. I mean, all that's fake out there. That's artificial. That's not real. You can try it. It's been tried. It's not real. And like we have the real thing. Will we want to like not let our kids experience the real love of Christ? What are we saying here? What are we doing? You know, I just think that and we have to love the church and we have to share the love of the church. And I understand church sometimes can be frustrating because we're a bunch of broken, sinful people. But we've got to talk about the church in a good respect because Jesus died for the church and he loves the church. And so um, just to kind of cap that off, I think. Very good. Let's, uh, I know we're running late, but we're going to go just a few more minutes. All right. If you need to slip out, I understand, but hopefully you get to stick around. We'll just be a few more minutes. All right. So, uh, how would you help friends or family members who are either deconstructing or have already deconstructed their faith? So they, someone in maybe a home, a family member that, uh, someone's interacting with who is there, they are what you were describing last week. In what ways can we minister to them? Yeah, I would say my, my um, advice would kind of discern what the real issue is. So sometimes, and even at the college level, I have the intellectual, but that's just smoke, smoke and mirrors. That's not the real problem. Maybe it's how the, the Bible talks about, you know, um, you know, sexual orientation or it talks about, you know, um, sin. And, and, you know, that there, there's something there that, you know, not, that might be there. Or, so I would discern what's, what are they really struggling, what are they really walking away from, or what are they really walking to? Are they walking to sin, or they're just saying, no, I agree, you know, sin's wrong, and I just don't believe in Jesus, you know, you, you don't believe he really came back from the grave, but what's really going on? So I think first is discerning that. Second thing is I, I love what Brandon said last week, um, and it, I thought it was so good about, like, you know, students are uh, going to go to college and they're going to go move on and they're going to meet somebody that has a totally different worldview 
And in their mind, they think they're this ugly, crazy monster. And they're going to attack them and get them. And then they find out they're nice. And they're loving. And they're caring. And they're empathetic. And they're going to be like, well, maybe I was a little wrong. Well, what else was I wrong about? And so I think a lot of times, why, as us filled with the Spirit, why are we not loving and empathetic and caring? Because we have the true love inside of us, which is Christ. And so I would say discern what's really going on. Be empathetic. Be loving. Don't just give an answer just to hear yourself talk. Like, hear them. Listen to them. And trust also God is the author of salvation. Hmm. That's always given me a lot of peace. when I'm like, oh, man, like, God's the author of salvation. So pray about it. And then, and then commit to walk with them. Don't just try to solve the problem. Help the person. Hmm. Love the person. That's one thing that I've learned and heard is like, you know, people aren't projects. They're people. And that's how Jesus saw people. We got to see people as people, not as projects to fix. And trust God that He can save them and work in them and change uh, what's going on in that. So that's a couple of tips I would have. That's good. Very good. Anybody else want to add? Okay. Um, Great answer, Ben. Thank you. Here's another question. Actually, I'm going to come back to that one. If I have a friend or family member who's walked away from the faith, does that mean they were not saved? (laughs) Um, Well, I I would say that you see examples in Scripture of both. I think you you see examples in Scripture of of people uh, walking away and and walking in a... a, uh, uh, state of rebellion um and uh i think scripture calls us as believers to call call those people to repentance right in in love and um and to call them back to the truth right to call them back to the fact that jesus is better right jesus is better than whatever they're they're chasing right um so you see like i said earlier scripture is clear that we can't lose our salvation right so you have you have um you have peters and you have judas's right you, the night Jesus was arrested, Peter and Judas both figuratively stabbed Jesus in the back, right? But you saw Judas, that's, that's where it ended, right? Judas, like, completely deconstructed, proved that he was never truly a believer. You see somebody like Peter who royally messed up and came back in repentance, and Jesus restored him, right? Um, that's actually, we've been talking about Peter in, in youth on Wednesday nights. Um, and so you, you see that. And I'll also add this. I mentioned last week that there... Um, when I was working at Snowbird, there were uh, some some fellow staff members that I that I worked with, um, who I uh, was friends with, who I learned from, um, uh, who have now walked away from from Christianity. There's another story um, uh, of uh, a fellow staff member that I worked with at Snowbird, and um, she. You can actually go listen to her to her story. I, you'd have to go find it. It's on uh, Snowbird's podcast that Brody does called uh, No Sanity Required. Um, if you go listen to that podcast, this episode was probably like a year or two ago. Um, but he interviewed her. name's Brittany. Um, and she's a, a former staff member. She tells her story where she basically walked through deconstruction, where she um, walked uh, away from Christianity. She walked away from the church. Um, and, and this was, this was after I had worked on staff with her. Right? So she, she had been ministering to people following Jesus. And then she walked away and was just like living in total sin and rebellion, running away from Jesus. And she had people in her life 
who, namely her brother, who's also a former staff member at Snowbird. Um, uh, she had friends and family, and especially her, her own brother, who was, who was loving her through all of it, was reaching out to her, even when she wouldn't respond, reaching out to her and, and drawing her back to Jesus, pointing her back to Jesus and calling her back to repentance. And she has since turned and come back to uh, seeing that the way she was going was a way of deception and a way that was unsatisfying. She's since come back and is pursuing the Lord all over again. So um, I would say if you like, know somebody, if you have a friend, family member, whoever, who is, who is in that state, never give up on pursuing that person and pointing them back to Jesus and calling them to repentance in love, right? Everything we do, we want to speak truth in love. Amen. All right, let's let this be our final question tonight. All right. What about someone who isn't currently dealing with this issue, not struggling with it themselves, no kids or grandkids struggling with it, no friends struggling with it? Um, they've been sitting here listening last week, tonight. Uh, how, does that, how does that type of person respond to this? How does this, what does the application of this look like in their life? One real quick thing that I'll say is I'll just reiterate something that, that I mentioned earlier. Live a life that demonstrates that you love that you love the person of Jesus, that you value Jesus, that Jesus is supremely valuable to you. So I, that, I never underestimate the significance of that, right? Somebody can, can come to church on a consistent basis and see a group of people that show that Jesus is supremely valuable to them above anything else. That will get you, you don't see what kind of effect that's happen, having in the moment. So I think just being genuine and showing that Jesus is supremely valuable to you is huge. Amen. And already mentioned it, prayer. Uh, really key. Um, although this wasn't a situation where uh, someone walked away from the faith, but Diane's aunt lived with us. We grew up in Florida. And she uh, was receptive to the gospel. Uh, the reason why we moved up to Rochester with us because her husband passed away. She was always resistant. And uh, we kept praying. And uh, she saw us, and I uh, noticed she started praying before the meal, which I, which you just pray yourself. But long short of it is, she was on her deathbed, and she was in a coma. And uh, I went to see her, and uh, the nurse said, well, she's, not, she's not up. I walked in, she was wide awake. The Lord woke her up, and she came to faith in Christ. Mm. And uh, the nurse said later, said, you know, she's all she can talk about is Jesus. You know, that's... A little different example, but we just kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, and let, let the Lord work. And when He calls, He calls. And, he, and uh, so it sounds simple, hmm. but it's profound. And uh, some of, some of us maybe have family members we're we're really burdened. Take that burden to the Lord. You know, obviously love them, pray for them, and uh, see how the Lord's going to work. To your point. The story may not be finished yet. It's still being written. Amen. Well, and I'll ask you in a moment, Barry, I'll actually ask you to close us in prayer. That's a good segue into how we'll conclude tonight. Um, I hope this has been helpful to you. And uh, we weren't able to get to everything tonight, but I hope last week and tonight what we were able to cover has been helpful to you and will help you as you walk out of here and we uh, go out onto our mission fields and in our homes and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and seek to make the impact God's called us to make. Uh, we'll do something similar this fall. We are in spring, aren't we? Uh, we'll come back in the fall and we'll uh, use a couple Wednesday nights to do uh, something similar. We'll tackle a subject. We'll come back with a panel discussion 
and I look forward to that. Uh, the rest of our Wednesday night schedule looks like this. Next week, we're back in here in First John, uh, two Wednesdays from tonight, we'll have our kids' musical, and then three Wednesdays from tonight will be our last Wednesday night before our summer break. We'll have a business meeting, and we'll have some time in the Word and in prayer. But thank you for being here tonight. We'll be hanging out if you have any questions. Can you all let the uh, panel know how much we appreciate them? Okay. And then also, it was mentioned earlier that last week was, is recorded, was recorded and it's been posted on our social media platforms. And tonight's uh, panel discussion will be recorded as well. If you know somebody who missed tonight and uh, would like to check it out, let them know. should be up in the next couple of days. All right. Thanks for being here. Brother Barry, will you close this in prayer? Well, let's stand and uh, appreciate your questions and uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great salvation we have. It's by your grace.